Hi, y'all. You're listening to In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile. I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. Welcome to the final installment of our collaboration with the China History Podcast on old-timey Shanghai pop music. If you haven't heard the China History Podcast, you need to check it out, especially if you have any interest in history or China. You can find them on all the major podcast platforms, or you can visit their website at teacup.media. Also, if you've been digging the music we've been talking about and you'd like to rock out to it while you're at your cubicle at work, or bless all the guests at your next barbecue, I've made at least three mixes highlighting my favorites of the genre. Just go over to Mixcloud.com and search for Spun Counter Guy. All right, let me get out of your hair so this podcast can get underway. Hello again, everyone. Laszlo Montgomery here with China History Podcast, Episode 228. Part three in our mini-series where we've looked at the birth of the Shanghai pop music scene from the earliest days in the late 1920s all the way through the 1930s and into the war years of the 1940s. The story of these great singing stars was one that was braided tightly with the movie and greater entertainment business in China. And Shanghai was the focus where it was all happening. The whole industry was Brand spanking new, and everyone in it knew this was going nowhere but up. And thanks to these new technologies, the possibilities were endless. Everything was in place, all conveniently located in Shanghai. Broadcast radio, the gramophones, the talent, and the market. And for Chinese culture, this was a brand new medium where creative minds could express themselves, Going back to the beginning of Chinese history, there was poetry, painting, sculpture, calligraphy, prose, music, dance, and other ways for Chinese arts and humanities to manifest itself. Now, for the first time in all the millennia of history, came Chinese cinema and a new form of popular music and entertainment. In part one, we flew at Felix Baumgartner Heights again to look at the life of Li Jinhui and how he was able to act as a mechanism that sort of connected the movie business to the singing and dance troupe business. And to say that this whole thing caught on quickly in the 1920s and 30s would be too great an understatement. Then in part two, we looked at four of the seven great singing stars, plus Li Li Li. We looked at Bai Hong, Bai Guang, Gong Chiu Xia, and Wu Yingyin. In this special, extra-long episode, we'll look at the three remaining Qi Da Ge Xing, the seven great singing stars, and they were Li Xianglan, Yao Li, and Zhou Xuan. And without further ado, let's look at the fifth of the seven great singing stars, Li Xianglan. Spun? The main thing that set her apart from the other six was she wasn't even Chinese. Her real name was Yamaguchi Yoshiko. Though she was Japanese by ancestry, she was born in Dengta, an hour south of Xinyang, Liaoning province on Lincoln's birthday, February 12, 1920. A Japanese national born and grown up in Manchuria was already no big deal by 1920. Japanese have been coming over in droves ever since their country pried the South Manchurian Railway from the Russians in the Russo-Japanese War. So her father worked for the railroad, and so Yoshiko grew up in China speaking both Mandarin and Japanese. 
She received some early education in singing and moved to Beijing to continue her studies. In 1938, she appeared in her first movie. It was produced by the Harbin-based Manjoguo Film Company, formerly known as the Manchuria Film Association. The puppet state of Manjoguo had been established in 1932, and she was an early favorite of the studio because of her looks, singing abilities, and fluency in Mandarin. This is where she began her career as Li Xianlang. As you might guess, the kinds of films churned out by this Japanese-run film studio heavily promoted Japan's political aspirations in China and Asia as a whole. Her identity as a Japanese national was kept secret for most of her early career. One of several movies she appeared in was particularly derided later on as anti-Chinese propaganda, and she was never allowed to forget it. During the Second Sino-Japanese War, all the way up to Japan's surrender in 1945, she appeared in many films, and by then she was one of the biggest stars in the industry. She had already made the list of the seven great singing stars of this era. One of Li Xianglan's better-known hits was "Chunjer Song," which encouraged folks to cherish the good moments, especially the scenes of springtime. The spring scenery is boundless, and the spring breeze is soft. Spring flowers are as bright as a brocade. How many times can one enjoy life? Remember this precious time. Hope the bright moon is always in charge. The lyrics also include the lines, quote, "Flowers are always good, and the moon is always round." Which is a sample of sorts, borrowing from a well-loved Song-era poem. Her biggest movie she ever made was called *Eternity*, and it came out during the war years in 1943. This is the film that yielded several mega hits that made her a household name. Li Xianglang, being Japanese and not Chinese, was one of the worst-kept secrets inside the industry. It wasn't generally known amongst the movie-going public, but all the insiders knew. Still. During the war years, when she was based in Shanghai, she recorded many classic hits and was a big star, one of the biggest in the industry. But after World War II ended, her secret got out. Her past appearances in many films, produced by the Manchukuo Film Association, put Li Xianglan into a lot of hot water. She was at first branded as a collaborator until it was learned that all this time she was actually Chinese-born Japanese in post-war China. Being Japanese wasn't as bad as being a Chinese national who collaborated with the enemy. Nonetheless, as in the case with more than a million other Japanese who had called China their home, Li Xianglan was kicked out and repatriated back to Japan. While China was wracked by four years of bloody civil war, Li Xianglan did her best to readjust to her new life in Japan. She decided to launch her career there under her real name, Yamaguchi Yoshiko. In the late 40s and into the 1950s, she appeared in several roles where bilingual fluency was important, mostly related to the war years and the Japanese experience in China. One of the movies she appeared in was directed by Akira Kurosawa. So in the 1950s, she tried her luck in the United States, calling herself Shirley Yamaguchi. She appeared in a couple movies and Broadway plays. Sensational in cast, starring Shirley Yamaguchi, the geisha girl who gambled her life for a man. Living with you here, like this, 
brings dishonor on them. And they hate any of us who give that impression to foreigners. In one of these films called House of Bamboo, Miss Yamaguchi starred along a young Robert Stack, better known to us in the 1990s as the host of Unsolved Mysteries, and one Mr. DeForest Kelly, a.k.a. Leonard Bones McCoy, doctor aboard the USS Enterprise, and if you go back far enough, as Elliot Ness in The Untouchables. During her time in the States, Yamaguchi had befriended Charlie Chaplin, something that ended up making her persona non grata due to McCarthyism and Chaplin's communist-leaning sympathies that he publicly expressed. She left America and moved to Hong Kong where she worked with the Shaw Brothers in a few movies. Using her Li Xianlang name again, she sang several hit songs from these movies and continued to be a superstar in the music business. But Li Xianglan, Yamaguchi Yoshiko, she also had a lot of ex-fans and haters who were very vocal and critical of her. There was quite a bit of outrage expressed from Chinese who felt duped for all those years in the 30s and 40s when she had secretly passed herself off as a Chinese and had dared to appear in so many of these Japanese propaganda movies. As the 1950s ended and the swing in 60s began, she reinvented herself as a Japanese TV personality married a Japanese diplomat, Otaka Hiroshi, and followed him around the world to his various postings until he died in 2001. She had taken his surname and became known in Japan as Otaka Yoshiko. In the 1970s, she hosted a TV show in Japan and had become an early outspoken advocate for Palestinians and their post-six-day war realities. And Li Xianglang, continued to express remorse for the work she had done in the past that glorified Japan and denigrated China. After the war, the Japanese nation was mixed with those who were defiant and had no remorse for what Japan had done, and those who felt the opposite. Li Xianglan was one of the first and certainly one of the most prominent to speak out against the more brutal aspects of Japan's occupation of China during those terrible years, including the matter of comfort women in Korea and their suffering. And if that wasn't enough for one life story, for 18 years she served three terms in the Japanese parliament, in the Diet as an LDP member, and she wrote an autobiography called My Life is Xianglan, and that came out in 2004. A musical of her life was produced in Japan in 1991, which created quite a bit of controversy in her home country due to the, well, overwhelmingly negative manner in which Manchukuo was portrayed. She was present in 1972 when Japanese Premier Tanaka signed the treaty with China that normalized relations, and as her tears fell, she had plenty to reflect on thanks to the life she had lived as a Japanese who had grown up in China, and who had been accepted as one of them at the ceremony. She had said that China was her fatherland, and Japan her motherland. She was admired and despised in both places. Li Xianglan, Yamaguchi Yoshiko, Otaka Yoshiko, had lived a life under a total of five different names, and with each name was a chapter in her long and interesting life. Li Xianglan died in Tokyo at the age of 94, in September 2014. Let's move on to the sixth of the seven singing stars. This was Yao Li. 
Now, I was looking forward to telling all of you that this legendary singer was the last surviving link to this celebrated group of women. Alas, I regret to say, she just passed away recently on July 19th, 2019, just a few weeks ago from when I'm recording this. Yao Li was born Yao Xiaoyun, September 3rd, 1922, in Shanghai. One interesting thing about Yao Li was that she had an equally famous sibling. Her older brother was Yao Min. He, along with Li Jinhui and several others, were among the most successful and well-known writers of Chinese pop and shidaichu music. Chinese of a certain generation will know Yao Min and sister Yao Li as the singing duo who recorded the popular victory song in Chinese New Year perennial, Gongxi Gongxi. This song came out right at the end of the war and was sung on the streets of Shanghai in 1945 to celebrate the defeat of Japan in China. It was written by someone whose name I should quickly mention. This was the songwriter Chen Keqin. Now he came from a well-to-do Shanghai family and lived a charmed life. He wrote so many of the standards we can still listen to today, but Gongxi Gongxi, or Congratulations, Congratulations, is arguably his most famous tune. Chen Keqin, by the way, was one of the many Chinese musicians who were influenced by the Jewish refugee in Shanghai, Wolfgang Frankel. There were a ton of Jewish musicians among the refugees who made their way to Shanghai in the 30s to escape Hitler, and Frankel was the most prominent. Wolfgang Frankel was in Shanghai from 1939 to 1947, and while teaching at the Shanghai Conservatory of Music, was a mentor and musical influence for many Chinese musicians of that time, Chen Keqin in particular. You could even sort of hear a bit of klezmer sound on Gongxi Gongxi, and the chord progression, if you listen carefully, mirrors the Hatikva, Israel's national anthem. Chen Keqin was one of those who stayed behind after liberation, and because of his musical and artistic background, he got caught up in the anti-rightist campaign in 1957 and was sent to a farm in Anhui to carry out years of laogai, reform through labor. He died in 1961, along with as many as 40 million other Chinese during the famines that followed in the wake of the Great Leap Forward. Yao Min, the brother of Yao Li, he wrote a whole string of hits and soundtracks for movies. I think it's safe to say all seven of the great singing stars sang tunes written by Yao Min. He's credited with over 3,000 songs. Now, considering his importance to the industry and his overall contribution... Like Chen Keqin, he's surprisingly not as big a name as many of the stars who sang his songs. Yao Li got into the biz nice and early, singing on the radio by age 13. She had her first record at age 14. And in 1937, age 16, with the help of Yan Hua and Zhou Xuan, another great singer and movie star we're going to get to in a second, she signed with Pate EMI. And this later... Husband and wife duo, Yan Hua and Zhou Xuan, after hearing Yao Li sing, took her under their wings and got her a contract and helped to launch her career. And Zhou Xuan, we're going to get to next. Let me just briefly mention Yan Hua. He was another headlining name from the 30s and 40s. 
These song and dance troops I've been talking about, they weren't just these all-girl reviews. They were boys and young men as well. And Yan Hua got his start as one of the top male singers in Li Jinhui's Mingyue Ge Wu Tuan, the Bright Moon Song and Dance Troupe, mentioned so many times in this series. He also had a natural talent for writing songs and wrote for many of the big stars. And Yan Hua went on to become a top actor in his time. And as I said, he and his superstar wife, Zhou Xuan, they made it easy for Yao Li to get her big chance and they helped groom her for stardom. Like with Wu Yingyin, who we discussed last time, Yao Li didn't appear in movies. She was always a singer. The other five women who comprised this most famous grouping of great singers of their era, they all appeared in movies, as well as on 78 records. As I mentioned last episode, Yao Li was known as the Yin Sangzi, the silver voice. There are a lot of Yao Li recordings around today that you can still enjoy. She had so many hits, written by her brother Yao Min as well as by others. One of her songs, Ren Sheng Jiu Shi Shi, Life is Just a Play, was featured in the 2018 film Crazy Rich Asians. She had a lot of hits, but her most famous song, by far I'd say, because it's so iconic, is Rose Rose I Love You. Another Chen Gexin composition. Now what's unique and amazing about this song was that it wasn't only a huge hit in the Chinese-speaking world, it was the first Chinese pop music song to cross over and become a hit in the West as well. And I think still remains the most successful Chinese song to hit the big time in the West. Italian-American Frankie Lane, Old Leather Lungs, he turned it into a top-selling record in 1951, as did Petula Clark. There were other covers of this song as well. And the great Anita Moy, may her soul rest in peace, she sang the Cantonese version in 1989 for a Jackie Chan movie. And the Shanghai Restoration Project also covered this song for their 2014 release called The Classics. If you go on Spotify... There are a few versions of Mei Gui, Mei Gui, Wo Ai Ni, one covered by Joanna Wang, Wang Ruo Lin, as well as from one of my favorites from back in the early 1980s, Feng Fei Fei. Rose, Rose, I love you with your almond eyes, fragrant and slender, each tropical skies. What's sort of funny about this song, when Frankie Lane sang it in 1951, of course he didn't sing it in Chinese, and the lyrics didn't even match those of the Chinese version. And instead of Meigui, Meigui, Wo Ai Ni, this American legend with a career spanning 75 years, he sang it, Make Way, Make Way, For My Eastern Rose. It was a big hit. Time Magazine wrote of this song in 1951, an unassuming candidate for China's 1946 hit parade was a bouncy little item called Meigui, meaning a rose. It was recorded in a thin, reedy soprano by a Chinese cabaret songstress named Huli and enjoyed modest popularity. By last week, Megway's old friends could scarcely recognize it. The Chinese lyrics had been uprooted. The new ones told the touching story of a Tommy's farewell to his Malayan sweetheart. As Rose, Rose, I Love You, the song stood number two on Britain's hit parade.
Yao Li was among the crowd who bolted from China in 1950 and set herself up in Hong Kong where everything that began in Shanghai was faithfully carried forward into the 1960s, 70s, and into our day still. She continued singing and was a regular go-to person for any playback singing. Many a Hong Kong superstar with a singing role in a movie sang with the voice of Yali when the film was played on the silver screen. And because she later on in the 50s, after receiving a lot of inspiration from listening to Patti Page in the U.S., she adopted a lot of the American stars' singing and performance styles. And for this reason, Yali is also called Hong Kong's Patti Page. In 1967, her elder brother, Yao Min, died suddenly from a heart attack. He was only 50. As you can imagine, this was no ordinary sibling relationship. Yao Li was so heartbroken and devastated by her brother's early death, she abruptly retired from recording and performing and took a position with EMI Music in Hong Kong in 1969. She gave a couple of performances here and there, but for the most part, she devoted her efforts to signing an artist to EMI. She kept at this until she retired for good in 1975. And up until her passing recently, she laid low and lived a quiet life. She was very prolific in her time and left behind an extraordinary body of work. Yao Li, the Yin Sangza, 1922-2019. She got to witness no small amount of Chinese history in her lifetime. The seventh and last of the Qi Da Ge Xing I want to introduce, the seven great singing stars, is the most famous and renowned of them all. She was Zhou Xuan, equal parts singing sensation and movie star. There's a whole bunch of her music available on Spotify, YouTube, and on many other privately run websites, music, and video channels. She's easy to find and a real great pleasure to listen to. Yao Li was called the Silver Voice because the voice of gold already belonged to Zhou Xuan. She was the Jin Sangzi. Sangzi was the Chinese word for voice or throat. Jin was gold, the golden voice. She was born in 1920 in Changzhou, Jiangsu province. Her real name was Su Pu. Very little beyond the legend is known about Zhou Xuan's early life, except to say she was given up for adoption at birth and her... Adoptive parents raised her till age three when she was passed to her opium-addicted uncle. And after this relative, Zhou Xuan got passed around to a couple other families, one surnamed Wang and the other Zhou, and she ended up taking the Zhou surname. The legend of Zhou Xuan says she was discovered in the winter of 1931 singing by herself in front of a fruit stall somewhere in Shanghai. It is said that the pianist from the Bright Moon Song and Dance Troupe, saw her and brought this girl to meet Li Jianhui, who took pity on her and, after hearing her sing, made her part of the act. Upon Li Jianhui's recommendation, she took a new name, Zhou Xuan. She had great natural talents, but then again, so did other members of this song and dance troupe. But Zhou Xuan worked harder than anyone, which, combined with her natural abilities, allowed her to rise to the top. Yanhua, he was nine years older than Zhou Xuan, and he became like a big brother to her after she joined Li Chenhui's little world that he created. Yanhua looked out for her. Then, by the age of 15, she became Yanhua's lover. In 1934, Zhou Xuan placed second in a high-profile singing contest behind Bai Hong, who we discussed last episode. 
Her star was rising, and then in 1935, she parlayed the success of her singing and stage presence into a movie career. In 1937, at 17 years of age, she starred in the production that would make her the hottest name in the business. This was the movie Street Angel, and the two hit songs from the film were The Wandering Songstress and Song of the Four Seasons. And these two songs are among the most famous of this age. No one could hit those high notes like Joe Schwinn. And from that time in 1937 until she breathed her last, Joshuan was without a doubt the biggest name in performing. She went all over Asia with Yanhua, and they were feted wherever they went. This big star in this new movie and entertainment business, Yanhua and Joshuan had married within a year after Street Angel was released. And in a theme that has been repeated more than a few times in the entertainment business, most recently with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper... Her star soon eclipsed that of her mentor and lover, Yenhua, and this led to problems in their marriage. Her marriage to Yenhua from 1938 to 1941 was a spectacle. Though she came close a couple times afterwards, this was to be her only marriage. Yenhua had been more than a husband and lover to Zhou Xuan, and going back to the days of Li Jinhui's Bright Moon Song and Dance Troupe, Yan Hua had been there for her to protect her. He was as big a star in the Chinese entertainment world as she was. So this golden marriage didn't last amidst endless mutual suspicion and jealousy, people talking all over the place, the rumors, the backstabbing. When they divorced in 1941, it was like Liz and Dick three decades later in 1974. Between 1937 and 1954, she appeared in 13 movies according to her IMDb listing, but she appeared in a couple dozen others that weren't listed. And besides these movies, she sang about 200 songs, so many of which we can enjoy today in the 21st century. All the fame and talent she had, the adulation from fans, she couldn't wallow in it and enjoy her success and fortune. Joshuan was constantly hounded by the paparazzi of the 1940s, who were as relentless back then as they are today. In May 1945, she performed three sold-out concerts at the Shanghai Capitol Theater. Some say it was Bai Hong, and some say it was Joshuan, who became the first performer to use microphones when singing live. After the war ended, she began filming more movies down in Hong Kong. of Joshuan's songs entitled Forever Smile, she sang, quote, Sweetheart, don't be sad. May your smile be the same forever. Unfortunately, or ironically one, Joshuan was not able to comply with the song's wishes. Joshuan had always suffered from mental health issues, chronic depression mainly, at a time when you had to fend for yourself and use your own brute force to get up and keep going every day. Even at her most famous, Joshuan was never the outgoing type and seldom attended the parties and functions where all the big stars of the day gathered to be seen and fond over. 
The failed marriage with Yanhua was already a huge blow to Joshuan. She later met a man named Zhu Huaide, a silk merchant. This was in 1948-49. She set herself up full-time in Hong Kong to be with him. Joshuan thought she was happy. Zhu Huaide took complete care of her and looked out for her. She gave him control of all her money and property, which was quite a fortune back then. She got pregnant, had a son with Zhu Huaide, and once that happened, he backed out, denied paternity, and in 1952, walked away from her. With her money. She never really bounced back from that. But in July 1950, she answered the call from the new China and went back to Shanghai to help make a contribution in arts and culture. She had one more public relationship with a man named Tang Di. Now, they hadn't married, and Zhou Xuan got pregnant, and together they had a son in 1957. But before anything could come of this love affair, Tang Di got himself locked up in prison for three years as a result of a fraud conviction. So Zhou Xuan's final years are as much a mystery as her early years. She spent them in and out of mental institutions. In July 1957, just as Chairman Mao's iron hand came down hard on all those hundred flowers that had just bloomed, Zhou Xuan was admitted to a Shanghai hospital with an acute brain infection. Well, that's what the records say in any case. These final years of Zhou Xuan, as I said, not that well documented. All we know about her end is that it came on September 22nd, 1957, and that she died of encephalitis in a Shanghai asylum hospital. She was only 37. Zhou Xuan had been gifted with so many talents in life, but happiness in love and length of years were not among them. Both of her sons, Zhou Wei and Zhou Min, wrote biographies of their mother. They were called Wodamama Zhou Xuan, My Mother Zhou Xuan, and Zhou Xuan Ji, The Zhou Xuan Diary. She had a public funeral at the Wan Guo Funeral Home in Shanghai, and after she was cremated, her ashes were interred at the Wan Guo Public Cemetery. Even in death, she didn't escape the wrath of the masses during the Cultural Revolution. Her remains were removed from a grave, and no one knows what happened to them after that. When those horrific ten years finally came to an end in the mid-70s, one of her garments, a cloak she had once worn, was interred at Fushouyuan Cemetery in the Qingpu district of Shanghai. And that serves as Zhou Xuan's final resting place. She was often called the greatest of the seven singing stars, the girl with the jin sangze, the golden voice, so many of her biggest songs were part of the soundtrack of that age. And like we said, there's plenty of recordings that we can still enjoy today, curated in collections put together by lovers of this music all over the world. YouTube, SoundCloud, MixCloud, Shimalaya, and many other platforms. You can listen to the songs of Joshuan and all those singing stars mentioned in this series. So much great music came out of these three decades of the 1920s to the 40s. These songs really were the soundtrack for that era. And while this whole Chinese entertainment industry was getting off the ground, all of the history we've looked at previously in over 
200 CHP episodes, was percolating in the background. The rise of the Chinese Communist Party, the Japanese occupation, the struggles of the post-imperial government to right the Chinese ship of state. This was all the backdrop for our story these past three episodes. So I hope you enjoyed this series. My thanks to Mr. Spun Counterguy in the great state of Kentucky for all his help in presenting this topic to you these past three episodes. In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile is the name of his show if you want to check that out. I'm a longtime subscriber myself. Thanks again, Laszlo, for letting me visit your podcast. Since I haven't gotten that time travel technology up to a workable model yet, I haven't been able to fulfill my fantasies of going back to 1930 Shanghai. But I gotta say, hanging out in the CHP studios has got to be the next best thing. Tajin, mon ami. This here is Laszlo Montgomery signing off from the biggest city in the United States of America, west of New York. That's right, Los Angeles, California. Hoping you like this little series on the seven great singing stars of Shanghai? Go to the links and resources page at the teacup.media website and check out some of this music yourself. If you're not familiar with it already, try it out. In the Corner Back by the Woodpile is produced by A Closet, A Pocket, and A Suitcase. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean.com. If you'd like to send us some hate mail, you can email us at SpunCounterGuy at Hotmail.com. See ya, and I wouldn't want to be ya. <laughs>